Hello everyone and welcome to the Angry Robot podcast for November. Here today with me I have Amanda Bridgman who is one of AR's very own brilliant authors and I also have Amy Kaufman who is an incredible author. They're both based in Australia and they're here to talk to us a little bit about writing, their new books and more. So actually what I'm going to do is hand you over to them to introduce themselves and the sort of projects they've been working on at the moment. Amanda, could you give us a little bit of a rundown? Sure. So I'm based on the west coast of Australia in Perth, Western Australia. Um, Primarily write science fiction. Um, I've just released the second book in the Salvation series called The Sensation, which follows up the subjugate. Um, And both those books are out now through Angry Robot. The Salvation series is set in the near future in uh, San Francisco and the surrounds. And it's set um, years after in the wake of an event called The Crash, whereby early adopters of connected neural implants, um, there was a terrorist attack which um, hacked into the system and affected all the early adopters. And as a result, there were, there were many deaths and people left with brain damage. And as a result, there was a, a bit of a backlash against technology and some people pulled back from the cities and set up tech-free communities outside the cities. And so it's about, that's the world it's set in, and, and book one um, involves the, um, a serial killer that's preying on women in one of the religious tech pull-away communities that our homicide detective, Salvi Brent, needs to investigate. And in book two, that takes place in the city, um, and there's a new drug tech experience on the streets, which, um, which uses black market neural implants, and um, people are dying from that, and so she's trying to investigate who's behind that. Amazing. Um, And Amy, do you want to tell us a little bit? I know you've written a lot of different YA, but also some middle grade. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, your current projects and a little bit about yourself? Uh, Yeah, sure. So I write uh, science fiction and fantasy for young adult and middle grade audiences. Uh, My most recent book is uh, co-authored with my friend Megan Spooner. It's called The Other Side of the Sky, and it's a science fiction fantasy mashup about a prince who falls from a high-tech city in the sky to the world below where he thought no one was alive and he soon discovers an entire society ruled by prophecy and magic and discovers that he is a part of one of their prophecies. Uh, He meets a living goddess there and both the characters and I hope the reader spend most of the book debating whether this is in fact a science fiction story or a fantasy story. Uh, there's also a cat, and I think everything is made better by an animal companion. <laughs> I've got to say, I love the cover for that. It's it's so beautiful. The cover is astonishing, and I've had an amazing run of covers, and I can claim absolutely no credit whatsoever. I was a bit <laughs> worried about this one because there's so many words in the title. The other side of the sky is a lot to get on a cover, and I was sort of wondering how it was going to go. Uh, but no, it came back and we took one look at it and said, can you add the cat? And then it's perfect. Perfect. I love it when covers are that easy. They sometimes are not. Sometimes it's a lot of uh, 
back and forth and especially actually Amanda interestingly for series um obviously we came in and we were trying to make sure that the style was matching the first one of the Salvi Brent novels so often when you approach a kind of trilogy you you tie your hands for like the first very strong visual and then you have to follow a strong visual and make it look as equally appealing and exciting for book two which I think always ends up having a little bit more time spent on it in the cover production process yeah absolutely so you've given us a little bit of an introduction to uh, the projects that you have out and you're working on, but you both write uh, series, essentially, or you have been writing series each. And I wanted to speak to you a little bit about the process of writing a series. Um, so do you sit down and write book one and then have a total idea of how the rest of the storyline is going to play out and it's all very intricately plotted and you have kind of a serial killer map on your wall where threads lead you to different storylines or are you a little bit more kind of like loosey-goosey and freeform and make it up as you go? And in fact, have you tried different approaches for different books? So um, Amy, I wanted to ask you that. Um, how have you been finding the process of writing a series? Because I know there's a second book schedule for Other Side of the Sky. Is that right? Uh, yeah, there is. And it's my, I'm trying to do mental maths. One, two, <laughs> it's my sixth series. So I've, I've had a chance to try it lots of different ways. And I mean, I guess the, the thing that I would say is, you know, I think you'll, you hear a lot of authors say you never learn how to write a book, you just learn how to write this book. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a little bit true for series as well, that there's never one there's never one way that you do it that is always going to be the way. When I'm writing on my own, I do outline quite a lot, uh, but I have uh, three different co-authors, all of whom hate outlining. So <laughs> when I'm working with them, you know, and the, the thing is, if I have nothing, I just have no idea how to write an emotional arc. But if they have the whole outline, it kills the magic. So what mm-hmm. we do is we meet in the middle with a sort of a, you know, a join the dots sort of approach where, you know, we, we know maybe 10 things that will happen that allow me to sort of know what am I, what, what sort of emotional climax am I setting myself up for? And, you know, but doesn't rob them of the discovery along the way. So mm-hmm. When I'm on my own, it's a lot more detailed. There are a lot more cards <laughs> when I'm in charge. And how you about you, Amanda? Do you write to a kind of outline, especially for the Salvi novels? Um, are those very like kind of clearly outlined in your head, or have you been winging it? I, whenever I sit down to write a story, I, I tend to always, I've obviously, obviously worked a lot of it out in in the brain beforehand over sometimes years. And then when I have enough of like the key scenes and I have a basic understanding of, of where the story is going to go, that's when I sit down and start to write. And so I'll, I'll have all the key scenes and it's just when I start to write, I'll figure out how I'm going to get from one key scene to the next. And that's normally where the subplots form for me. Mm-hmm. And I've sat down several times to to write a standalone book and, you know, without fail, they tend they tend to just turn into series. Because once I start writing and I have the characters and, you know, you've got all their relationships and the cast and um, it, it just all sort of grows from there. My space opera series, Aurora series, that was supposed to be one novel. And by it's normally by about the, the sort of two-thirds of the way through that I kind of story ideas start branching out for other, for other books. And so I'm, I'm currently writing my eighth book in the Aurora series and... It's the same with Salvi Brent. I sat down to write a standalone and, again, by about the two-third mark, 
I, the story for book two popped into my head and I've already got um, storylines sort of ready to go for book three and four. And the beautiful thing about the Salvi Brent is you can, you can write them as standalone mysteries, but you can also have the background um, story arc and character arcs for, for the readers who stick with you for each one. So I, try, I do try to write standalones, but I just, I just, I just <laughs> you can't resist. <laughs> I think it is interesting though, that, that kind of concept, because it feels a little bit crimey that, that feel of taking from that genre where you have these characters, but they're almost solving a thing, a book. Um, and there are subplots and you do sometimes get this kind of enrichness from reading the entire series and following it on. But at the same time, any reader can kind of hop into any book and just enjoy the mystery that's unraveling in front of them. You don't have to have all this kind of lore and background to it um, because the world is kind of rich enough and the mystery is rich enough that it just stands on its own two feet. It's quite like a fun thing to borrow, I think. It, I think it is a traditionally crime genre area do you agree with me on that Amanda yes yes I do and it's because even if you read like you know there's the Bosch novels and there's there's even the um the wizard who's a private investigator oh the Jim Butcher's even even his he tends to um you know they have he has something he has to solve every book but the, the readers who who have read all the books and kind of follow them know the characters that come in and out and what the history is with each of them and, and things like that. So there's kind of there can be there can be Easter eggs for the people who read the whole series or if people just want to dip in and out for a one night stand, they can. <laughs> it's quite a fun a fun way of writing and I think engaging with uh with that side of the genre it's a little bit it reminds me sometimes of the x-files as well where you have that kind of monster of the week episode almost but always in the background you have this kind of like big mythology building up and running um and occasionally you have like those very like mythology heavy episodes but the great thing i think about um books is often you know that can all be going on in the background you've got the richness of adding to all these characters as you go and the world as you go and you don't need to kind of have these like separate mythology interludes because the characters themselves are doing it as they move throughout the world and solve these crimes. You immediately get involved in their relationships and how they move. But what I did want to ask you a little bit is, um, I know that writing a series or indeed a book is quite a weird, immersive uh, thing to do. You know, writing's I think quite a lonely profession, unless you're apparently Amy, who writes with a massive cast of collaborators, which is incredible <laughs> to me because I think I would kill someone I had to work with that closely on something as intricate as a book. It's it's amazing trying to craft something together. But how do you guys switch off? Um, I think it's an interesting question, especially for now when um, a lot of the world is in various different forms of being at home. But how do you move your mind away from the book? Do you have a little bit of a switch off or do you find yourself thinking about it basically until it's finished? Amy, do you want to tell me? Uh, look, I think that if I'm not careful, I do think about it until it's finished. And when I'm in maybe the back sort of, quarter or fifth of it that's absolutely what's happening because there's this moment when you sort of get towards the end and you start to feel the momentum of it and you know it's like a downhill run and you don't want to stop you find yourself creeping away to get as, as many words in as you can but I think that on the whole if you're going to work sustainably breaks are incredibly important I'm actually a really big fan of a book called Rest by 
uh, Alex Sujung Kim Pang, and it it gives heaps of case studies and it explains in a lot of detail why downtime is actually really good for us and why it makes us more productive. And I mean, I write three and sometimes four books a year, and I do do that. You know, work. I knock off at five every day. I take my weekends off. I take a couple of hours off during the day so I can have my own lunchtime and also spend some time with my daughter. And I think that actually makes me more productive, not less, but I have to be conscious Mm -hmm. about it. I have to really, you know, I have to have techniques in order to to do that. I think it's very hard to sometimes uh, step away from something, especially when you're feeling close to it, that idea about momentum. And it's something that readers feel as well when they're reading it. You have that momentum. You can tell when all the pieces are like clicking together. But how about you, Amanda? Do you have kind of set writing periods? Because you're you are also you've written. Um, I mean, how many books have you written this year? Because I know you wrote an incredible tie-in for a board game as well as the Salvi Brent book. Um, how have you been finding time off? This year has I've probably written the least I've ever written in in the last <laughs> ten years. Um, I think part of it was because I I worked so hard last year. Um, and that was two novels and a short story, but one of the novels and the short story both required a, a hell of a lot of research mm-hmm. and doing that while working uh, four days a week uh, with everything else, it, I was just, I started the year exhausted. So actually <laughs> I haven't really done that much. I've done a bit of editing this year, but not so much on the writing side. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I am writing, I um, I tend to... I'll go through like peaks and troughs really where I'll, I can do like a whole weekend where I deep dive into it um, and then, you know, during the week I might decide I'm not going to do anything after work. Mm-hmm. But um, I do find I work best when I can deep dive, meaning I've got like a long stretch of hours, which is part of the reason why I drop to four days a week in my day job because just having that extra day because my, my, I'm the kind of person, I'm not a night owl really. I prefer my brain works best during the day. So for me, it was being having that more hours during the day where I could write so that I could take it easy in the evening worked best for me. I don't normally have trouble pulling in and out of stories and sometimes I can be working on two at a time because sometimes you'll hit a like a, a roadblock on one of them where you just, you, I can't write because I can't, I don't, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen next. And so I'll go away from it for a while and then come back. So dipping in and out kind of kind of works for me. But when I do, when I am dipping in, um, I do like to deep dive. I think it is interesting that kind of procrastinating between tasks. So if if I can't get something done on something because I'm just staring at the screen and I don't know how to solve it, you sometimes just have to switch your brain set to another difficult problem, and it clears the way for you, especially for creative work. Like remember when you were at school and you would if you were doing an exam, the teachers would say. If you look at it and you get stuck, you know, if you get stuck on a question, just go and do another question. Yeah. And partly they were saying that so, you know, you didn't just like fail to answer questions <laughs> 10 from 30 because you were stuck in number nine. But also I think they knew that often when you sort of go away and do something else, you're still running a sub-program back there. Although I mean, when you were talking about Amanda's books, running a sub-program in your brain sounds considerably more dangerous than it usually does. <laughs> <laughs> If you'll forgive the terminology, you know what I mean. You're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Still running, running a little program in the back of your brain to try and figure out, you know, the, the answer. And then one day in the shower, there it is, and you can go back to project one. It's amazing, isn't it, just how many things just come to you in the shower. 
Yeah, seriously. I kind of rude that you can't bring a notebook in with you. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes I find if you've had like a particularly long shower, I've like drafted like five emails. I've solved so many problems and I get out and I can remember maybe one. i remember hearing this story about how roald dahl was driving somewhere when he had the idea for fantastic mr fox and had nothing to write with or on and he pulled over and jumped out and wrote fox in big letters on his dusty car (laughs) so he would remember and i don't know if it's true but i've always loved it (laughs) (laughs) just need the one word to make sure you remember the rest Mm-hmm. Amazing. So, Amy, uh, you—we've touched on it a little bit, but you've been doing a lot of kind of collaborative projects um, with different people as well. It's not just one collaborator. Mm. But what's kind of—we've talked a little bit about how you prefer plotting, um, and your collaborators do not. But what's it like, kind of switching between different people? Do you have to put your brain in a slightly different mode according to the collaborator you're working with? Um, how do you actually get it together do you kind of take responsibility for a chapter and then the other person takes responsibility for another chapter what's what's the back and forth Uh, look it's remarkably similar with all three of my co-authors and I think that's probably because there's a personality type that I work really well with and I'm attracted to working with that personality type Mm -hmm. and 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 I've you know found three people who are just like that so with, with each of my co-authors, we, we do alternating points of view and we take responsibility for particular characters. And I think probably what is similar is much more important than what's different in that, you know, I, I, I suppose I do behave slightly differently with, with each of them in that, you know, for instance, Meg that I wrote, uh, with whom I wrote The Other Side of the Sky, uh, was my flatmate for years. So, you know, we were constantly kind of talking about a stream of other things to do with our lives. And, you know, Ryan with whom I've got a book coming out in um, in January, you know, she and I have daughters of the same age, so we're chatting about that, uh, you know, and, and Jay lives here in Melbourne with me, so we're, we're talking about local things. But what we have in common each of these times is that the relationship with the co-author is always so much more important than anything you're writing. And what I mean by that is that you need to be choosing someone to work with with whom you have just enormous mutual respect. You know, there are things I love about their writing. There are things they love about my writing. Because I think if that's not the case, then you do end up with some one person trying to drown the other person out. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you love their stuff, then anytime they try to chop one of their one of their jokes or one of their, their beautiful lines, you're in there fighting for it. And, you know, the by far the most frequently asked question we have is um, uh, what do we do when we fight? Uh, and the answer is I've never had a fight with any of them over, you know, a dozen novels or so. And I think the reason for that is that when you really love what the other person does and they love what you do and you don't want to drown each other out, then sometimes you might have different ideas about where to go next. But you sort of experience those as standing beside one another and looking at a whiteboard together to solve a problem rather than, you know, facing off with boxing gloves. You know, you don't want to convince them if you might be wrong. You want to hear what they have to say and then Mm -hmm. find something that works for both of you. It's interesting. It's actually that is how I think of editing as well. This um, when a manuscript comes in from an author, it's, you know, my ideas are there to help 
craft it to make it a little bit better, but I'm working on it because I love it. And mm-hmm. if I've pointed out a mistake, it's because I want to find a way to fix it together rather than me kind of being like, oh, well, I know how to fix this. Let's just shove X in. And the author often, you know, will have an answer for me, but it's always got to come from this place of excitement and joy around how great this book is. Yeah, it's- it's exactly right. I mean, I have that same relationship with my editors. The Other Side of the Sky, we wrote that ending, rewrote the ending in its entirety five times. We kept sending it into our editor and going, there you go, done it this time, and sort of thinking in the back of my head, not sure we have. Uh, and I remember when she sent it back the fifth time, an author friend of mine said to me, now listen, you've just got to sit her down and tell her enough is enough. She must just be editing it, you know, just for recreation at this point or because she doesn't know how to stop <laughs> you know just tell her no and I said I swear to god the moment she's wrong I will definitely tell her no but she's not she loves it and she's making it better and I think there's nothing like having someone who is in the foxhole with you they know what you're doing as well as you know and they can they can point to those little spots that you sort of maybe they were niggling at you and you sort of knew they weren't quite right or maybe you had not spotted them at all but someone who knows the story but has fresh eyes can I think it's I love being edited I think it's a very fun process how have you found it Amanda because you you have um different editors because you've been writing a ton of different series as well um because the process I imagine is is a little bit different every time according to who you're working with yeah I've I've been very lucky that with the Aurora series um the editor that I had when with my old publisher Momentum um, Stephanie Smith, she has stuck with me for all the books. So, and the Aurora series is is not the kind of series where you can just pick up any book and read it. That is actually a series you need to read in order. Mm-hmm. And so trying to bring another editor on would be a nightmare, I think, because I'd have to read the other seven books to figure out what's happened in the last 15 years of this book, <laughs> this book series. But, um, so I was lucky there. I only had one editor and she's been fantastic and she does structural and copy edit, edits for me. So I've obviously had a few different ones with Angry Robot and I love it because I think mm-hmm. every time you have a fresh set of eyes look at something, they always pick up different things and that, that can only benefit your book. And I'm, I'm, I, I love um, having editors involved and I can't understand why any writer wouldn't want to have editors involved to help. You know, they're just going to make you look better than, <laughs> you know, they're certainly not going to make you look worse, I don't think. The idea is that they're your hype people. They like kind of like craft it. They make it a little bit better. They polish it up and work together. You know, it's always got to be that kind of excited relationship. Or at least I think that's where the best editing gets done. So Amanda, I want to talk a little bit about um, your one of your most recent projects, which is um, the tie-in to the board game Pandemic. Uh, I just find this area of writing really interesting. Um, the experience of like adapting something which is constructed as a board game with so many rules because it kind of hands you a world on a plate because of the nature of board games. So were you, did you have an idea of, were you given an idea for how to write the plot for it or were you just told that here is a world, make something of it? Um, I was very, very lucky in that it's the first novel um, in the board game series. So, um, and it's based on the original pandemic board game. Mm-hmm. So I basically kind of had, um, to a certain degree, you know, free reign to take the roles from the game, set up some characters and then pitch some storylines. And it's, you know, and it's the, the you you're working in someone's IP, so there are mm-hmm. rules that you need to, to stick with. 
but um, the basic kind of guidelines were, you know, it's it's kind of like virus of the week, you know, and and compared to some some TV shows like your CSI and and things like that, that was the kind of the feel of what the the book series was going to be like. So, I was very lucky that being the first novel, I got to you know, take the roles, name the characters and work up little backstories for each of them, um, set up a little series Bible that um, other authors will use. And for me to, in order to pitch the ideas, I kind of, I needed to know a little bit more about them. So I wasn't necessarily required to do that, but I ended up doing a lot of sort of background work because I kind of, I needed to know who the characters were, mm-hmm. what the organisation they worked for in order to, to pitch what was going to be the story of the week type thing. So so I put together little character background and bios and I worked, you know, came up with a with an organisation and, you know, even right down to their logo. What's the logo going to look like? Where do they work? Where are they based? And, and all that sort of stuff. So I had, um, it's, it was a nice balance of working within someone's IP and sticking to the guidelines and the, and the spirit of the game, which is all about cooperation and teamwork, but also... Being the being the first novel, having having um, quite a little oval to run around, you know, mm-hmm. um, it would be different for other authors coming in because they then have to write the characters I've set up and the in the, in the world I've set up. So yeah, I was, I was uh, quite lucky. So um, when were you actually writing this project? Did the kind of uh, general vibe of twenty twenty um, <laughs> sneak its way in? <laughs> well. <laughs> I actually, um, I pitched, I think I was pitching like June last year. I submitted the novel late last year and I I think I'd had this structural edit before the pandemic hit. And so I I think I was doing the copy edit when I was watching the news, everything that was happening in China. Mm -hmm. This is kind of weird writing a novel about a pandemic (laughs) while there's a real one happening. And then, of course, because of that, the book got uh, uh, pushed back to next year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, not going to be appropriate to release it mm-hmm. this year as planned. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was very weird. And because I'd written it before the pandemic, it was then a little bit weird to be releasing a book that didn't mention COVID at all. Yeah. So I did go back and just add some references to COVID. Because mm-hmm. people, you'd be some some readers are, uh, are great, and other readers will um, complain about things. A friend, a writer friend of mine, was, was telling me about someone who had written was a romance time travel novel between the summer of 2020 and back to 1950 or something, and a reader complained that the book didn't mention COVID at all, and, and it was set in summer 2020. So oh my that's, gosh. that's the kind that's the kind of review you can sometimes like, get. So. I feel like I'd be okay with that. I mean, you know, escapism is sort of the name of the game right now, isn't it? I know, um, and they have to realise that the book would have would have been written sometime before it came cool. out. There's just always going to be some readers, you know. There are I mean, always yeah. some readers. There's always yeah. one. But, I mean, I must say, speaking as a massive pandemic nerd, I mean, I own and have played the original Pandemic, Legacy 1, Legacy 2, Iberia and Reign of Cthulhu. We have been leaning more towards the the Cthulhu and the slightly less actual pandemic version mm-hmm. of the board game this year. So I think probably the 2021 release is 
not the worst idea. Yeah. Amy, if, if you're interested in tie-in writing, they, they're always looking for more authors, so you, you certainly know the game back to front. Front runner. <laughs> do i ever <laughs> it's it's such a great game i remember i was playing it um at a friend's house in kind of january as stuff was like starting to unravel um honestly we just kept losing to the viruses it's very depressing um, <laughs> i just say every time i've played i've only played the original game but every time i've played it i've killed the world so <laughs> <laughs> thankfully the characters in the novel are a little bit better than me well, you know, you, you've written hopefully very competent people to deal with it, um, of whom we hope there are also some in the world handling ours. So. One interesting thing I will say about that, the pandemic novel, you can't, obviously because it's going to be like the first book in a series, you can't kill the world. You can't, you know, it's, you've got to write an exciting pandemic novel without going too, mm-hmm. too crazy like you know, perhaps like COVID has gone. So it's a delicate balance of making it exciting and, and, and having a pandemic involved, but without it being too realistic. Because if you look at COVID, look how quickly that spread across the globe and 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 all the deaths. So you've, you've got to you've got to be you've got to put the toys back in the box once the uh, story's over. So sorry, when's the release date for it? Just so uh, it's currently listeners scheduled, know, <laughs> it's currently scheduled for March next year exciting I'll keep eyes out for it um so for both of you um you've had tv rights deals and interesting kind of noises there but I know the process for kind of getting involved in anything tv or film related is very different from the books process how has it been for each of you so Amy how has your experience been uh so I mean I've had quite a few different ones and and they've each of my series that has been optioned has progressed quite differently, which I think is, mm-hmm. you know, a pretty pretty reasonable cross-section in that it always does. You know, there are, I have a fantastic film agent who I love, but uh, books get optioned for lots of reasons. You know, sometimes they get optioned for active development, and that's the dream. That's what you want. Sometimes they get optioned to be put on the shelf so that, you know, if, if Sony says, oh, we'd really like to do something with cowboys, you know, the producers can say, oh, we've got these cowboy rights right here. Did You know, let's use these. And sometimes they're optioned so that someone else doesn't option them, you know, mm-hmm. because it's similar to something you've got in production and you, you want to throw the blanket over this one. So you've got to, first of all, have really great representation so that you are, you know, are as, as carefully as you can be checking that you're being optioned for active development. But I have had series get all the way up to, to having very involved screenplays written and then go back to step one. Uh, I've seen that multiple times. Uh, I've At the moment, we're working on um, on a few different series out of my books, and in one of them, the, the Aurora Cycle, uh, Jay, my co-author, and I are going to be consulting producers, which is really – we're having heaps of fun with it. Okay. But um, – They've all been they've all been very different, and they've all had some degree of involvement, which has been really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, speaking both speaking to the producers up front, and also um you know, chatting with them as we go on because they're often optioning an ongoing series, and so in most cases, my film producers are the only people in the world who know how the series will end. <laughs> they need to make sure that they don't accidentally close doors. But I think also it is very different to books. So you're looking for people who really know what they're doing so that you can trust them to do what they do rather than, you know, coming in and saying, well, this is my third time. Uh, let me tell you all what I think. 
Mm. And how about you, Amanda? How have you found the process? Uh, it's been it's been very interesting. Um, I can't say anything yet other than that it has been optioned, and I was I was allowed to to say that the, um, the production company is Oscar and Golden Globe nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, the last update I got was very exciting. There's some really exciting parties involved. Um, but like Amy said, I, I'm someone who keeps my feet on the ground because I know, you know, you can get green light after green light after green light and then suddenly everything falls apart. And I had a good chat with um, a friend, Daniel O'Malley, who his book, The Rook, got optioned. And, you know, that passed through two producers. And from the I think from the day it got optioned to the day it aired on TV was about four years, which is which is actually quite good. So um Yeah, that sounds good. very fast. <laughs> yeah, so he and, and went through two producers. Yeah, it's it's very exciting and I'm I'm very keen to uh reveal more information, but I can't at this stage. I'm enjoying this these cryptic teasers. <laughs> I know. I don't want to tell everyone. <laughs> would either of you be interested ever in writing a screenplay of your own work, or would you feel like it's not your kind of area of expertise? Because I think authors are often divided on this. Um, Amy, would you love to write a screenplay, or would you like to steer clear? Uh, yeah, no, I actually am doing some adaption work. <gasps> I love it. I I think for some authors, it's so different to their personal writing style that they don't enjoy it, which I think is, you know, perfectly valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and given, you know, as Amanda and I have both said, the fact that, you know, everything in Hollywood's right about to happen until it doesn't, you know, you wouldn't want to to put all your eggs in that basket and, and do all that work if you didn't enjoy it. But I think perhaps from writing books like Illuminae that have a lot of alternate format and that have a lot of almost script format in them already, because that's a book written entirely in alternate format with, you know, uh, documents and, you know, instant messenger chats and emails and so on. I think I've had a lot of, you know, it's quite like playwriting, you know, you have to learn how to put everything on the page without giving too much direction and without mm-hmm. giving what you would in a novel. Uh, and I really enjoy that. So yeah, I'm having a blast. Amanda, would you want to write a screenplay? Have you written a screenplay? What's your kind of take on that world? Yes, absolutely. I um, actually studied film and television at uni film and television creative writing. So um, it's always been a love of mine. And I, funnily enough, Aurora Darwin actually uh, started out as a screenplay. I sat down to write a screenplay and then just realised I hadn't had enough of the story worked out that I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So I decided to write it as the novel first and then I'd go back and write the screenplay and then, you know, suddenly I'd written about five Aurora novels and I thought, I never got back to that screenplay. <laughs> so I've over the last few years, it's been so long since university that I've basically been retraining myself and, you know, listening to podcast after podcast, go to event after event, just trying to almost learn by osmosis if I can, um, to get the the skills back up to scratch and definitely keen on adaptation. And I have actually written um, an original feature film, a couple of original feature films and one of my original feature films has been optioned. And so that's just going through their very early stages of back and forth with the producer on on story edits. So fingers crossed we can take that all the way. But again, it may not happen, but it's, it's very exciting. 
it's so interesting, I think, being able to have both because they're very different skill sets, I think, um, being able to write a novel and being able to write a screenplay, as you say, like uh, a novel allows you a little bit more space, whereas screenplays, you have to be careful to make sure things are on the page, but you're not over kind of over egging things. So it's incredible that both of you are comfortable working in both those formats or are learning about them, because I think they are kind of slightly different things so um you're very multi-talented is all I'm saying well, we're doing it well so. <laughs> we're Look, I'm gonna pretend you're doing it well yeah. <laughs> so for both of you I want to talk a little bit about um reading this year because I don't know about you but um I've found my concentration a little bit more blown than it mm-hmm. is normally what have you been reading have you been going for kind of reading escapism is have you just been reading as usual what you would normally read or has stuff changed in light of the world around us amy uh yeah no i definitely found it very hard to concentrate on reading for the first part of the year so mm-hmm. i moved partly to audiobooks uh because i find it I, I can do something else while i'm listening to an audiobook even if it's just walking and i think for me sometimes when i'm having trouble staying sitting still and working that really helps uh, but I've I've managed to sort of pick it up again a little bit lately, which has been fantastic. And I have read some sensational books this year that really have helped me escape, which I mean I think is to be prized above all else in in twenty twenty. I think one of my um one of my favourites was a book called All These Monsters by Amy Tintera. It's a, a book that is set not very far into our future in in a world that is very like our own you know same music same brand name same places but it diverged from our own a few years back when these giant um, monsters called scrabs started bursting up from underground and our heroine is a girl who uh, joins an army of young people who you know much in the way that we're sort of seeing young people do climate uh, crisis marches now saying well if no one else will do it we'll do it this is a group of young people saying, well, if no one else will deal with them, we will. And it's simultaneously a fantastic adventure story and also a really thoughtfully told uh, story about uh, a Latina character who who feels like she's sort of got a little bit of foot in, a foot in both worlds uh, and, at the, you know, at the same time doesn't quite fit into either world. Um, the one thing I would say for listeners is it does have a uh, really heartbreaking depictions of domestic violence so if that's something that is not something you want to read about or should read about then I would steer clear of it but it's a it's a beautifully and sensitively written book and I just loved it sorry Mark I, ha- I hadn't actually come across it but it, it sounds incredible and I, I just looked mm. up the cover and the cover is gorgeous as well it's um the cover is sensational can I tell you about one more that I love yes please yeah. do I love I love mm. book recommendations it's my favorite part of any podcast so go for it right. Well, so the other one that I absolutely love, and book one came out last year, book two came out this year, uh, is the Shadow Scent duology by P.M. Freestone, who lives in Edinburgh, um, and uh, who is who is a friend and whom I mentor, uh, and it is just the most beautiful, intricately written, gorgeous fantasy duology. Uh, it's set in a world where scent is the primary sense, and. It is the world building just blew me away. You know, sometimes when you sit back and you think, I wouldn't even know how to do that. (laughs) Everything from from the language, which is a properly constructed alternate language, through to, you know, everything that we see through the characters' 
eyes, you know, being, being, well, I was going to say flavored, but I suppose centered with, um, you know, the, the way they perceive the world. And it's sort of, I don't know if, if Indiana Jones met perfume, so it's oh, a it's a wild pitch. I know, right? It's it's so good. It's a wild quest for the ingredients for an antidote, uh, with you know a little touch of an ember in the ashes in it, and it's it's beautifully written. The world building is great. It's fantastically and casually queer, which I really enjoyed as well. It's just it's just beautifully written, and it's a duology, and they're both out now. So I think for the, for the people who don't like to start something until they know they can finish it, good news. <laughs> This is completely ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Amanda? What have you been reading um, recently or have you found it hard to read? I have found it um, hard to read this year. I've probably read the, the least I have read. But to be fair, I have had an incredibly shit year, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I won't go into and bring the podcast down. But um, for, for listeners, just an example was that my father passed away in September so um, I've had a I've had a, a few things like that happen this year, and it's it's there really wasn't much um, my brain could handle for a while there, other than just binging the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills on the couch. So, but um, of the reading I did do um, recently in terms of science fiction and fantasy, um, obviously I read a couple of um, debut authors for Angry Robot, which was Dan mm-hmm. Hanks and the Captain uh, Moxley in the Embers of the Empire and uh, Ginger Smith's Russia's Edge, which is kind of like a Battlestar Galactica. Um, the Expanse. Meet yeah. the Expanse. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but other than that, um, I, I did stop reading because uh, I normally I'll read on Kindle and also audiobook. And I just, mm-hmm. the audiobook in particular, I've just really struggled to try and, and get in. But to get me back into reading recently, I've just been reading kind of straight uh, thrillers. Mm-hmm. Um, though I am reading one at the moment that is um, is speculative fiction, and that's Greg Beck's Fathomless, which is about a um, ancient big great white in a deep sea cave, which is kind of my bag. I kind of like that stuff. <laughs> so, um, and he's an Australian author, so um, yeah. So it's, I'm slowly getting back. It is a bit easier sometimes to read um, a thriller. There's something very kind of self-contained in the world when you're a bit unable to have the brain space. The way I often get myself back in is either rereads of books that I know that I love and give it like a very specific mood mm-hmm. or um, I go for something like completely outside my regular genre. So I've actually been reading a lot more romance this year, which has been new for me um, and I've been having a great time. Yeah. I have read, oh goodness, probably thirty or forty romance books easily this year. I I fly through them because I think that the whole point of a romance, right, is that you know it will end well. By definition, it either it either has a happy a happy forever or a happy for now ending. And sometimes you just need something that you know is definitely going to end well. Right, it's like the kind of sugar hit, I think. And it's really like, and there are these amazing worlds, these amazing characters that they they do so well on making you love characters. Like you just love them so much. But mm-hmm. you know that you're what you're getting into is something that there will be trials and tribulations because there have to be, because it's a book. But the ending is always so kind of sweet and satisfying and, and I, I don't want to use the word safe because that sounds like I'm doing it down, but it makes you feel safe. Um, which is the mood I'm looking for. 
Yeah, I think it is safe in that you can immerse yourself in the trials and tribulations while knowing that the author has made a promise to you mm-hmm. that yeah. it will be okay because that is the type of book that this is. It's why, Amanda, actually, I was saying about crime, um, you know, obviously crime plays a little bit with this, but um, at the end of a crime book, generally, the crime has been solved. Uh, So there's something slightly cathartic about reading it, um, I think, having those kind of like thriller elements. Um, You know, there's, there's always some kind of big, terrible thing at stake, and you get to the bottom of it, and the world, however temporarily, is returned somewhat to normal. Yeah. Um, which gives you that that safety as well. Yes, absolutely. We like to see our, our hero or heroine get the bad guy in the end. So and that mm-hmm. yeah. It's 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 the same as a as a romance happy ending. I want to talk to you a little bit as well about the Australian uh, sci-fi fantasy scene because, um, and I actually think that this question, uh, when we sat down as a team and uh, thought a little bit about the questions that we wanted to ask you to, um, I think this was written by uh, my Australian team member uh, who is missing (laughs) Australia a lot at the moment. Good job, Yeah, he's he's missing, I think, his family a little bit. So he wants to talk a little bit about the Australian sci-fi fantasy scene because um, it's not as widely known um, outside the country as it frankly should be because there are some incredible writers and there's like an incredibly interesting scene, I think, happening in sci-fi fantasy there. I often see um, very kind of specific themes coming from the Australian sci-fi fantasy, which um, is submitted to me, uh, that it has very much the same flavour and personality. But I wanted you guys to just essentially give us a few shout outs. What are some great Australian publishers, authors, books? What do we as international readers, people listening maybe in the US and the UK, elsewhere in the world, what do we need to know? Is there anything you want to tip us off to? I could give you an hour-long podcast, but I'm going to be restrained. Uh, one thing I would say is that the premier spec fic awards in Australia are called the Aurealis Awards. And if you're looking for, you know, something particular, whether it's fantasy or horror or, or kids' books or, and so on, go and have a look at the Aurealis Awards website and... You know, you look at your particular category and over the last few years, you'll see you know, the shortlist are all just full of absolutely fantastic books. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because Amanda and I feature, although, you know, <laughs> obviously proof of concept. Um, I think some of the, the spec fic that I have read recently that I have just absolutely loved, uh, The Erasure Initiative by Lily Wilkinson is right up the top of my list. Uh, The premise is that seven people wake up on a self-driving bus with absolutely no memory of who they are or who anyone else on the bus is. The bus will not stop. They cannot get off off the bus and they are presented with a series of ethical questions a la the trolley problem uh, to solve and it quite quickly becomes clear that they are not hypotheticals and they are playing for very, very high. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds like my cup of tea. Oh, it was, I couldn't put it down. And then at the end, I saw how everything had been laid out so that I could have got to the conclusion. But did I? No, I did not. Sometimes you're just along for the ride. You've got to enjoy it without solving it. Like every so often I would think, oh, now hang on a minute. And then I would get so swept up in events, I wouldn't stop to ask the question. And I would keep going, which is the sign of a great writer. And I think the um, the other two that I always recommend to everybody uh, Ghost Bird by Lisa Fuller. Uh, Lisa is a First Nations writer. She's a, a Murray woman from up in Queensland. And Ghost Bird is a thriller. It is terrifying. I was recently on the uh, the judging panel that awarded it uh, one of its many prizes. 
it is it is a read with the lights on type of book and I'm despite scaring people silly with some of my books not really a, a read with the lights on kind of reader but <laughs> I, couldn't, I just couldn't put it down it was fantastic and I also love uh, In the Dark Spaces by Callie Black which is also won uh, a swag of awards it's set in space and there's it's got this beautiful sort of spare writing that asks a lot of questions that stay with you for a long time afterwards it's um it is about a girl whose whose sister is kidnapped and as she starts to pursue her she begins to learn that everything she thought she knew about both her people and the aliens believed to have taken her might be wrong and although it is very exciting it's not sort of a you know heart pounding adrenaline rushing you know mm-hmm. to rescue the kidnapped victim thriller it is a beautifully thoughtful book that I mean I'm I'm writing about it for my PhD because I it's the sort of thing that that really stands up to sitting down and and doing some deep thinking about so I could go forever but there's there's three <laughs> amazing and Amanda how about you what what else is there in the Australian landscape and sci-fi fantasy that you would like to give a shout out to or you've read I mean I know Reading this year has been tricky for not only pandemic reasons, but for for the fact that 2020 absolutely sucks. Um, but is there anything that you love that you want to shout out? As Amy said, the um, obviously, if you go check all the award lists, they're a good place to start. But um, it's also, I think, um, there's, so, there's so much they don't capture that are out there. Um, mm-hmm. The... The people who I think are, are making waves that, that international readers should check out, obviously Amy, that's why I invited her here on this podcast. Um, <laughs> and Jay. And um, uh, in terms of fantasy, you've got people like Sam Hawke and Devin Madsen who are kicking goals. Um, another YA for um, fantasy is um, Lynette Noni. I find, kind of find like she's almost, I don't feel like people in Australia really talk about her much, but I've done a few uh, Supernova events with her and she always has a line of, of readers wanting her autograph. She's I mean, just... you know, the thing about Lynette is if you go into a school, yeah, all the kids are talking about Lynette Noni's books. All the kids are obsessed. But, obsessed. You know, perhaps because it's YA, which is, you know, something that YA gets a lot. You don't see the same level of press that you would for for someone who writes adult, but my goodness, they love her. Yeah, absolutely. The um, sorry, where, where I'm recording, the lights have just gone out because they're uncensored. I've seen it. Give me five minutes till I get the lights back on. I've got I've got a lot of uh, writer friends who would kill me if I didn't mention them. <laughs> Justin Woolley, who uh, writes science fiction. Justin um, is great. He's so talented, isn't he? Yes, yes. You, you could do far worse than grabbing any of Justin's stuff. Yes, absolutely. So he's 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 done YA today. I think he's moving. Um, he's going. He's writing some adult sci-fi stuff now. Um, there's Nathan in Perugia who. Um, primarily he's a thriller writer, but there's always a, um, a sci-fi bent to his books, mm-hmm. kind of like almost like the, the Bourne series where, you you know, there's genetic mutations and things like that. Who else? Um, Amanda Pillar writes urban fantasy. 
Um, so if you like um, your urban fantasy and you know with a with a with a strong romantic flavour, check out Amanda Piller. There's so many, um, and it's it's hard to try and think how readers can really discover them. It's not like there's a a list anywhere really that says every Australian who's ever released a science fiction <laughs> or fantasy book. I think we need to set one up. <laughs> you know what, though? I have giant lists in my head, so if there are readers listening who think, well, that all sounds nice, but there's nothing that caters to my specific taste, you hit me on Twitter or Instagram. I will I will bespoke recommend you an Australian <laughs> No that problem. Great offer. Um, but it is, it's very interesting being in, because uh, obviously the UK has its own specific kind of sci-fi fantasy scene. And it's so interesting learning about um, other countries that have kind of a very specific scene and authors within the culture who are speaking to it. Because sometimes they just never seem to leave the borders of the country. And you're like, why isn't everyone reading it? It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, I love hearing about um other countries or indeed like just small communities of you know sometimes you'll find these incredible um small publishers working within um a very specific space uh and catering to you know very specific readers like there are a ton of amazing small presses in the US um that I always love hearing about and seeing what they're picking up because they're often picking up stuff which is kind of like wilder and weirder than the um than the really kind of big publishers who are obviously publishing incredible things as well but um you often find the slightly kind of fringes or elements of um genre bending and mashing up in the smaller indies and communities and sometimes even self-publishing just in scenes in different countries. So it's really great to hear about Australia and Australia's scene. You know, I'm hoping that there will be a big con one day that I can justify going to because my aunt is in Australia and I have never visited her because I am a bad niece. I mean, you are bound to do it, I think, really. It's not a great hardship uh, going to Australia. I was very jealous. My sister works for Audible uh, and she uh, got to do a work trip uh, when uh, Audible was setting up in Australia. Uh, And so she had like a really great excuse to go. I was very envious of it. So that's the way to do it if you can. Someone else sending you. There's a a Wellcon bid coming up for, is it 2020? What is it, 2024? No. It's 2023 or 24, I, I yeah. um, mixed up. But yeah, Brisbane is, is Brisbane. bidding for a Worldcon. So oh, for really? everyone who has a chance to go to, to New Zealand, maybe they'll come our way. Yeah. We vote for it and then start saving Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel bad for um, Worldcon this year for New Zealand not being able to host. I, I know. They, um, are, Finally, you know, we had one in our neck of the woods. That we only didn't have to travel too far for, and that never happened. No, I had. I, I know. I'll tell you what. I have one when I'm allowed to go to New Zealand again. I have an awful lot of hotel credit sitting there, ready to go oh, for my. Yes. <laughs> but um, it was going to be my first time away for a few nights from my toddler, who I love very, very much. But my goodness, I was excited about that hotel room. <laughs> I know it, it does it does seem really unfair um to not be able to do it especially because obviously so much planning goes into these enormous conventions and trying to get them set up and trying to get amazing guests and my first Worldcon again because it was closer to my neck of the woods was actually uh Dublin last year oh really which was a very fun Worldcon uh because obviously Dublin's great and I actually managed to tie it tie it with visiting loads of friends and family as well so it's like a really nice big um big fun time as well as being in the convention space which was huge and beautiful and on on the river so 
I was planning for years of lead up to go to that one because apart from my mother, my sister and I, my whole family is in Ireland. Uh, but I had a newborn and they don't travel as well as you'd hope. So weird fact. I know, I know. So, so I was instead at home. But my first Worldcon was here in Melbourne in 2010 and I didn't have any leave left. So I told my employer that I had a family reunion that I couldn't go out on. <laughs> which sort of spiritually speaking, I did. Uh, and he said, oh, well, you better go. I know what they can be like. Uh, and off I went, and it was fabulous. It was the start of my writing career. <laughs> How about you, Amanda? What was your first big con? Um, so I went to LonCon. That was my first Worldcon. I think I've been to about four Worldcons now. But, yeah, I go to, in Perth here, we have SwanCon, so I go to that every year. Go to the occasional continuum in Melbourne. The oh, My favourite was the the mixed one where you had... You had sci-fi, you had fantasy, you had thrillers, romance. It was uh, all genre con. Con you're thinking of. That was genre great con was it's a fantastic. Uh, it's a festival for writers uh, rather than for readers, and the mm-hmm. the pitch is mm-hmm. essentially if your books get their own special section in the bookshop, then this is for you. So if you write <laughs> romance or crime or, or spec fic, then yeah. you know it's it for you. Wonderful, and you can you can learn so much from the other genres. So. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a good one. Well, fingers crossed we will at some point be allowed to go to conventions again. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And there will be a vaccine that will be safe to do so. Uh, so I'm very hopeful that if not next year, at least the year after, we'll be able to see some of these cons again. Uh, though I'm hoping that we don't lose some of them in this intervening time period, because I know it's a very hard time for any events-based organisations. But thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. It was really great to chat to you. It was so nice hearing as well about Aussie sci-fi fantasy and also the really interesting projects you're all up to. I honestly, the amount of amazing stuff you put out whilst also, you know, Amanda, you're doing a day job like, and the amount of books you're publishing, it's, it's left me a little bit in awe. So um, I'm going to have to do a lot of work today to... to <laughs> to make up for my feeling of inadequacy uh i need to produce some things um hey, you're but thank you. <laughs> that's true i can you know, that's good you know it's not too bad and i do we get the physical books which always make me feel very proud so i have like a nice little shelf um amanda you're on it it's in it's in um month order so and it's building slowly because i've started having all the um advances sent directly to my house now because obviously we can't go into the office so i'm building up a nice kind of collection of home office angry robot titles which is really pleasing to see because it's like the year's worth of work very physically in front of you Um, and you know how much work that has gone hold it you know nothing like yeah it. it's so nice when they arrive and amanda i know that um we've uh for people listening um the release date for amanda's book uh has been a little bit later in australia because uh shipping books across the world during a pandemic is quite hard as mm-hmm. it turns out who knew uh so we've had to delay it which is so unfair given that the author's there and I feel like you guys should have access to it sooner um but you will have it soon so that's okay I'll just have two launches (laughs) (laughs) it's not too I'll make it work (laughs) (laughs) anyway thank you both so much um have a great night because I believe it is night time there whereas it is morning here fantastic thank you so much for having us thank you